Ladies and gentlemen, please take your seats. The show is about to begin. Thanks for listening to another edition of Cavs the Blog Podcast. I'm Tom Pestak, and I'm joined by my main man, Nate Smith. And uh, we're just going to have a nice, free-flowing conversation. That is that is safe for all audiences, right, Nate? We don't ever we don't let, ever let anything we, we have slide let in there. We have a couple things slide, but we have apologized for it. Yeah. We, we, we don't gratuitously drop drop the F-bomb in yeah. seven dirty words, so. But if we were ever gonna, if we were ever gonna drop some f bombs, it might be after that game today. That was that that was was a. uh, They put a big fat postage stamp on that. I think they mailed that game to the fans collect. (laughs) (laughs) That was what they call a dumpster fire. (laughs) That was, that was a turd sandwich. That game, or in Portland, a dumpster recycling bin. Yeah, there you go. It was there was nothing right. about that game. A recycling bin fire. So I meant to say. Yeah, there's nothing about that game you want to recycle, though. No, um, and I didn't watch much of the fourth quarter. Did you see the new guy play at all? Yeah, he looked okay. I mean, it's tough to take anything from that. He's really long and lanky. Yeah, uh, he has kind of a quirky jump shot, mm-hmm. and I'm very wary of anybody who. Can't shoot. Shoots 33% in the D league. You know oh I mean? yeah. I mean, that's, wow. but I mean, he had a couple 30%. of nice shots. Um, yeah. uh, but that, that final score was basically complete and total garbage time. Uh, the, the wizards had called off the dogs as it yeah. were. And, mm. and anytime the game was in doubt that game, um, it, it it was all wizards all the time. I mean that that fourteen point margin does not is not indicative of how badly they destroy the Cavs in every phase of the game. Yeah. Uh. I. I. Yeah. You watched the first three quarters. I mean. Yeah. They're up by what? What was the biggest difference? Like thirty three. Wasn't I didn't I didn't know if it got above thirty. I, when I was when I kind of was stop paying attention. It was like 26 or something like that. So yeah, 26 or 27. Maybe, maybe Let's it was, about. well, Let's no, it did get above 30. Game tracker point differential. The worst it got was 30 perhaps. Yeah, it looks like it. But yeah, I mean, they were, they mounted a little bit of a mini run, um, at the end of the half. And then, uh, you know, they didn't finish the half well. That that was really annoying to me. Yes. Uh, and, like, what was with Kyrie not – I mean, there's, like, 1.8 seconds left or something. And and uh, 
and Washington wasn't pressing. So I thought it we I found it weird that when they inbounded it to him, he didn't just let it bounce, you know, pull like a rondo and let it roll until someone puts pressure on him. And he kind of haphazardly just grabbed it, took a dribble, and then he just didn't do anything. And then the, and then the yeah. clock went and off. I've noticed he, LeBron doing that in games too, like rather than just launching a full court shot which he's made a few in his career. He just kind of, oh, I got two seconds left. I'm not going to get yeah. a quality shot off. And it's like, well, you, you know, even if it's one in, even if you have a one in a hundred chance, that's, right. you know, you still take it. I mean, you know, the Cavs cut it to nine. Um, and, you know, they just, uh, then at the end, um, actually, the end of the half? To, they, cut it, they cut it to five. I forgot. Yeah, Delhi made a three. I'm looking now. And they cut it to five with, like, under a minute. I mean, you think right. you get a stop, get a bucket, and it's anybody's ball game. But um, yeah, Beal made a jumper, and then Kyrie missed, and then Wall had that driving layup. And so now they're back up nine. And then, yeah, Kyrie didn't get a shot off. And then to start the third quarter, I mean, the Cavs were just terrible. And Otto Porter made – Three straight threes. He got. He yeah. caught an AJM fire out of the half. Yeah, and that that kind of put the Cavs to bed right there. Yeah, it uh, did. And it is. <sighs> what did you see that stood out the most? Was it just that they didn't care? It's just. It's. I don't know what it is, but the Cavs. Um, the last two and a half years, when there's been expectations that hey, this is at least a playoff team, or maybe this is a championship team. I don't know. They they find ways to sabotage play. themselves. Well, they play some of these games, and I just think like, how can this team be a playoff team, or how can this team be a championship team? I mean, they yeah. just they sort of get outworked in every facet of the game. It's not like, well, they're just missing open shots, or oh, well, someone on the other team just kind of got hot. You know, it, it's like no, they just in every facet of the game they look a little bit slower. They don't look quite as tough. Uh, they look a little bit confused. They're not, you know, crisp and precise. And I got to say, like, Kyrie Irving and maybe to a lesser extent Kevin Love, they don't they don't seem to have, like, that, um, that sort of, like, backed into a corner, like, I'm going to thrash about mentality. Yeah, the like Kyle when, Lowry when, mentality. Well, like, when they start getting down – it's just they don't, they don't, yeah, they don't seem to like pick up the intensity. They don't seem to get mad. They just, it's, they just kind of go through the motions and yeah. it, the, nothing really changes. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I'll never forget that game, especially because I wrote about it a couple years ago. Uh, it was in November and the Cavs hosted the Wizards and, oh, the uh, game? yeah, the Delhi game where, you know, here the Cavs are supposed to be a playoff team, and they're hoping to be, and they got Andrew Bynum playing and everything. They had just beat the Wizards like a week before. The Wizards weren't any good. They were below 500. And you would think, okay, you're at home. You're going to make a statement against this other up-and-coming young team. That's not that good. And you're at home, and they just played like absolute garbage. And they were down so much. They were down 20-some-odd points in the third quarter. Mike Brown just – uh Called timeout, kind of did like a hockey substitution, which Ty Lue did later on uh, this afternoon. In the third quarter, yeah. Yeah, and and Delhi just played with all this heart and spirit, and he got in Bradley Beal's grill, and he kind of shut him down a little bit, and, and the Cavs almost made a comeback. 
And, you know, that doesn't really apply to today, but just the way the Cavs looked through those first two and a half quarters, like they were inferior in every facet of the game. Yeah, every that's kind of like that, that's kind of like what tonight reminded me. Like, like how can yeah. this team be a, considered, you know, one of the best teams in the league when to a man they look worse than you know a team that's not even in the playoff hunt right now? They're like in the nine seed outside looking in. Yeah, yeah, I I totally and I don't agree love with you, play, but. but I mean, part of it is you look at the way they played that game and. What was the foul count? The foul count seemed like it, it seemed like the Cavs did not commit any fouls. Like they were just well, and the ones they did were like ridiculously stupid. Well, both teams committed twenty six fouls. Channing okay. Fry had Channing Fry had quite a game. He oh had he was terrible. 0, he was zero for five from the field, zero for four from three, and that that one three where he was. He was a foot inside the line, and he and was he in rhythm, big, and he took that step. huge step back. Oh man, he had uh, he had five fouls in in twenty four minutes. Um, yeah. yeah, I of course, yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what to say. I mean, it's not a really characteristic game because LeBron didn't play, but just just watching them have no answers and really have no fight uh, against a team that, again, it's just not that good of a team. Um, right. Well, it's discouraging to their credit. They are healthy again. Um, the, uh, the wizards, they do have their starting lineup back. Uh, you know, Bradley Beal is back. Bradley Beal had a great game off the bench with 17 points. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they, I fully expect them to make the playoffs. A, because John Wall, really? oh yeah, the way they played tonight, I do. <laughs> well, um, I mean, I expect Detroit to make the playoffs. So who is not going to make the playoffs in the East? Well, let's look at the standings. Are they going to leapfrog Chicago or Charlotte or Indiana? Yeah, I don't know. It's going to be a tight race it's because be a I tight think, race. I think Detroit just got better, and I think Washington got Detroit better. Detroit beat Toronto today. Yeah, you know, Toronto. And who they beat the Cavs a couple days ago. Beat the Cavs a couple days ago. Yeah, but I I could see Indy fading. Um, I well, I think Charlotte will will fade out. I think without Kid Gilchrist. Uh, yeah, they're not nearly as good. Right. So it'd be interesting if Chicago uh, doesn't make the playoffs because assuming, I mean, those teams are all pretty close. Washington is a couple of games back, but I mean. Washington does have a very easy schedule going forward. Yeah. And like you and like you said they just got healthy. Yeah. They're they're sitting at 28 and 30 now. Uh Detroit is now 31 and 29. So Detroit in the 9 spot is like two and a half up on the Wizards. Yeah. But I mean and, Miami even Miami and Atlanta if they don't it is it's really close. It's really tight. Yeah. Like I mean there's seven, only five games between Miami and Washington. Yeah, se- yeah, seven games separate Boston and Orlando. So yeah. three through 13 are separated by seven games. Yeah. So that could be And the head-to-head matchups are going to be huge. Yeah. And, you know, Indy's lost two straight now. you got to think that they're going to get the Cavs' best shot tomorrow night. Oh, yeah. I would hope, but... I this 
Cavs team. Oh, you're saying the cat. You're, you're saying Indy's going to get the Cavs best shots tomorrow night. Yeah, well, and they'll get you know Indiana's Indiana lost a game, so. Yeah. But you know, I would hope. Uh, here's one of the things that annoys me, and, and one of the things I want to ask you a question: How yeah. long before the game do you think Ty Lue tells the team and tells LeBron we're not playing you tonight? Like, well, do you think no that's idea. a game time decision? Do you think it happens the night before? They they did not. No, I don't. I don't. I don't know. They did not. I mean, seem it wasn't very prepared for not having LeBron. Yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, they didn't. They didn't. I, I didn't see it show up on Twitter until I mean, within like an hour before the game. I don't right. know when it first broke, but yeah. I mean, you would think the night before, I'd be like Kyrie, Kevin, this is your night. We're going to sit yeah. on tomorrow, get some sleep and, you know, come ready to play, come ready to dominate. But they did not seem to have that mindset. And and Kyrie Irving scored a lot of points, uh, 28 points, uh, but got absolutely waxed by John Wall. And Kevin Love got put in some vines again. That one layup that Wall had. <laughs> Where he like just waltzed by him while Kevin was standing there, uh, waiting for help that never came was uh, that that's a new like it used to be posterized, and I think it still is posterized for dunks. But when you have a really bad defensive play and you get made to look like a fool, I think <laughs> I think we should that the verb should be you've been vined. You just got John Wall vined Kevin Love on that play. Yeah. I hate Vine. I love it and hate it. I, I mean, I love I love what it, it gives us, but I hate that because those are the only kinds of things that get Vine anymore. Yeah, then everything gets, that's your confirmation bias there when you're trying yeah, to. Yeah, and if you don't watch a whole game now, but you have Twitter and you're watching all these Vines, you get you, you that forms your impression of someone. So mm-hmm. to the to I mean Kevin Love's not a good defensive player. But he is so much better than his reputation. I'll just put right. it that way. Because yeah, his reputation, today he like, quit. <laughs> well, he quit, but, you know, I thought he was playing really hard in the first half. I really did. He had a sequence where uh, he fought really hard for a shot down low. I think it was that little hook shot. He made it, and Gortat started sprinting up court. And Love, like, did one of his, like, out-of-shape guys put his head down and just without even looking, just chugged it as fast as he could to get back on D. And he immediately bodied Gortat. And then on the next play, uh, he got hit or something because I didn't see what happened. But after um, the Cavs scored and after the play was oh, over, yeah, Love, he, Love was like limping. Yeah, when he fell down and Austin's like, you got to get up. You got to get back. Yeah. And so um, I, I think maybe I think maybe that was the play where Delhi hit a three. And that caught, cut him within five. I mean, I thought during that whole sequence, I thought Kevin Love was playing really hard. And he's playing yeah, hard, I mean, but not can, necessarily well. Well, you can say he quit, but he didn't. He was he was fighting pretty hard at that juncture, anyway. Yeah. Um. I, I mean, to, here's my thing. So last year, this has been well documented and well chronicled. At the beginning of the season, Kyrie Irving was the point guard, and LeBron was playing off ball, and then Kyrie. Uh, you know, they were running the Princeton offense or whatever. I don't know the exact date it happened, but at some point, uh, two different things happened in November. And I don't know what order they happened, or if they happened on the same game or what. 
But one of those things was LeBron decided, screw the Princeton offense. Uh, we're not running it. We're going to run my stuff. And the other thing that happened was he got on Kyrie's case and said, like, look, uh, you're never going to have another game where you have no assists. And that, that was that whole thing. And Windhurst reported on, on both of those things. And from that point on, LeBron was kind of the de facto point guard when he was in the game. And here's another thing that happened last year to your question tonight about when does Lou let everyone know LeBron's not playing. The Cavs were not prepared, I don't think, for LeBron to take that two-week sabbatical. Now, I know some people have said, no, they told him to do it. But, I mean, I know I've well, heard Well, there's a difference say, between the and, team telling him to do it and the rest of the players being prepared. You know what I mean? No, but I still think I, I've heard Winter say on a number of occasions that the Cavs were caught, were kind of blindsided by his whole, like, okay, I'm taking my time. And he, like, just left for a couple, like, two weeks. He just left, left the team. Um, so, you know, I guess my point in saying all this is, I've been watching the Cavs the last couple of weeks, and they've gone back to where LeBron is the point guard when he's in the game. Oh, yeah. Kyrie's playing off the ball. So if LeBron's going to play and and everything's going to go through him, he's going to have this high usage, and and the guys are going to start to form habits around that type of offense, and then you remove LeBron, it's just like the 1.0 era Cavs all over again where they had no chance. I mean, those were 60-win teams that had no chance to win a game without LeBron because right. they, they they don't have burnt. that play that they don't have a backup for that on the roster. Exactly. And that is why the Cavs really lost the buyout sweepstakes because yes, that we were discussing Joe Johnson, I think, and I wrote that piece about it. I think he would have been a real nice pickup because in a game like today, he could have been LeBron light and kind of carried that offensive load and done the whole thing where he faces up and kind of yeah. sees I what saw the defense JR is going to give him. trying to do that tonight, and it was not pretty. Right. Well, he, does, he doesn't have the passing ability. He doesn't see over the defense the way LeBron well, does. It, but, or, nor does he have the handle or the, you know, I, I'm saying that Kyrie Irving didn't even want the ball on a couple possessions, which just kind of... Speaking of doesn't have a handle, what is going on with Eve Monchum? Yeah, I mean the guy cannot dribble the ball. He like, can't how can dribble you the ball? A, and how can you be a guard and just not? Did be able you to... see him? One of the oddest plays of the year. He drives in from the right side, tries to finish over Gortat with his left hand. Which, if you're and he's a right-handed player, if you're if you're, it's an advanced move to try and finish with the left hand on the right side. But yeah. it's idiotic when you're going right into a guy and he just swats it into the third row. I'm like, <laughs> what are you doing? Why would that, you show that, that play him the ball made no first? Sense. Yeah, huh? yeah. Why would you? Why would you show him the ball first yeah. instead of? Well, it's not even a show. It's just giving him the ball. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, it, uh, I, I didn't understand that play. Iman Shumpert. There's a lot of talk at the trade deadline that he liked. He's more interested in his rap career and his clothesline, uh, his clothing line, rather. And I didn't totally believe it, but I've seen nothing approaching the kind of intensity that I saw last year. And maybe maybe the solution to that, I mean, this sounds counterintuitive, but is to give him more minutes 
Um, maybe I thought in a game like tonight, I really would have liked to have seen him in the starting lineup instead of uh, Richard, Richard Jefferson, Jefferson mm. uh, just for defensive purposes. Yeah. But, I mean, he played pretty lousy defense against Toronto, so I can see where they yeah. didn't want to do that. I know, which was so stunning because earlier in the year, he played some really solid defense a couple yeah. of times. I mean, he had all those late-game strips on against, you know, whether it was uh, Derek Rose or – uh, there was the one on Dirk. Um, yeah. He had some it's very notable play. defensive stances. And Kyle Lowry just ate everyone on the Cavs up. I, w- I was puzzled. I mean, I know at this point it's sort of like no- nothing was working, so don't be overly critical. But for so many years, e- even after LeBron, I mean, LeBron has never been a guy that's like, I got to guard the other guy's best player. But especially, you know, in those two 60-win teams, any time a point guard would get going to where like Booby Gibson couldn't stop him, LeBron would start checking that guy. And after yeah. the game, they would ask him about it and he'd go, well, you got to cut off the head of the snake. He would do it against like Rondo and all these different guys. He would, he would DM up. And when LeBron is engaged, he is actually a very good isolation defender because he's very long. He recovers quickly and he's so big and wide, it's kind of hard to blow yeah. by. And he has decent—he has pretty decent instincts. Yeah, when he when he's engaged, when he right. when he's in quote unquote chill mode, it's it's a different story. But but I was just shocked that last night, you know, DeRozan's not playing, or when he did play, it was terrible. Everyone else on that team is basically a spot up shooting role player type. You mean Friday night? Yeah, I don't know what I said, but against the Raptors, nice, yeah. against the Raptors. And Lowry's just going off, and not only are the Cavs not doubling Lowry, but they never tried LeBron on him once. It's right. like you know, the only guy that was kind of giving them space out on the perimeter was Terrence Ross, who had who had fifteen. He had some nice shots. Yeah, but just double off any other guy, right? You and know, right? <laughs> don't and, leave him. I and mean, I don't, and I don't feel like the Cavs have been a terrible recover team this year. Like I. Right. I sort of feel like they, they I think they're better when they're playing well. that scrambling defense. I do too. And so watching out of a timeout even, Lowry just like I, I swear to god he took like 3 to 5 dribbles. He just back telly down. It's like none of you guys are going to even like stick yeah. a hand in there like you, yeah, you know make and, a big voice about it. You, it's real hard to blame Delhi in a situation like that. I mean, A when you breathe on the guy he's getting foul calls. B, you'd figure he was going to get help. Now, Delhi on the last shot was played terrible defense. Well, that was a tough shot too. No, I mean, I I agree. No, I agree with you. He should have known the scouting report. Should have known the scouting report. He had terrible defensive footwork. He got crossed up. He was trying to block the shot with the wrong hand, and his defensive shot clock awareness was terrible. Yes, yes. I mean, all three of those were really bad. Now. Did he lose him the game? No, uh, because they lost the game on so many other factors. Right. Uh, that that Toronto game, a the officiating was terrible, but that's not why they lost the game. They didn't lose the game because the officiating was terrible. They went. It, they lost the helped. game because they went into the prevent offense. Yeah. Uh, and I think they scored like three buckets in the last five minutes. I mean, it was just that. <laughs> They just walked it up and tried to play that 
horribly yeah, slow two man game and nobody would cut and it well and it and it worked a couple times and then the Raptors kind of figured it out what they were doing. Yeah. The third time they tried doing that uh LeBron Deli um pick and roll uh the Warriors or I'm sorry the Raptors sort of sort of sniffed it out a little bit. I thought it was and the they, Kyrie LeBron pick and roll. Well, or were they wrote, well, alternating it? I can't remember every possession down the stretch, but I remember the Cavs did score a couple buckets in a row that started on the left wing where LeBron uh, set a screen for Delhi and then rolled um, to the left corner. And Delhi would take the pick, try to create a little bit of space, and then he would whip the ball over to the corner. And LeBron would try to go baseline. And it worked twice, at least, where LeBron did that. I think there was the one play. It was like, um, it was like a Kraken to Kyrie. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that where LeBron yeah. drove baseline? And that was Kyrie. the best play of the game, right? On offense but, for the Cavs. But eventually, the the Raptors started sniffing that out, and they denied that pass but to the LeBron other one thing time. Is, is Kyrie and LeBron were the only guys passing to each other. Well, then there was so the, the play where, happens. like, Jr. Red freaking hot in that game doesn't sniff the ball for most of the fourth quarter. Right. But then there was the whole problem where, and this really kind of annoyed me where um, there was a Kyrie deli pick and roll in that same left wing mm-hmm. and, and Kyrie caught the pass and went left and it looked like he got bumped and I guess he stepped out of bounds and he nailed the three and yep. the refs, instead of the refs calling a blocking foul, they just called him out of bounds and, and that is really the point where the Cavs started bleeding away. That turnover yeah. is really where things changed. Yeah. So. And, you know, you have nights like that that you lose that game. You lose a game like that. And I really thought that was a winnable game, and it, they were really poorly coached at the end, especially that, that final inbound play where first they, they run it with two uh, timeouts. Love. Right. Well, they take two timeouts. Both their timeouts, and Love has got an inbound play on the left wing, or on the left sideline, and then Bismack Biombo deflects the ball on the first time, and Love does a really nice job of Getting stepping out of the way. And so there's still about three seconds left, mm-hmm. and the but they can't draw up another play. Although even really, even though really they had a chance to do it because Ty Luke you know, had everybody over when they were reviewing the play. So Yeah, he had a lot of time, yeah. Yeah, but then they get this action where LeBron got it at the top and just, you know, launched up a 26-footer uh, right. when he still had two seconds on the shot clock. Um, well, I thought they should go for three. <laughs> I well, just want to get out of there. I, I, my opinion is you take the best shot possible. Yeah. Um, and... Then we had the stat that you were just you, – your mind was blown by. Uh, yeah, that's LeBron's, hard to believe. LeBron's uh, end-of-game shooting, which well, – uh, sorry, go ahead. So that's in the last 10 years, they said? Yeah. So the stat is in the last 10 years, LeBron in the last five seconds of the game – is and and what and it's when they're down. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Game time. Not... Go ahead. Field goal percentage. Last okay. five seconds of the game. LeBron is 
five for 47. Only Jamal okay. Crawford is worse. Yet, yeah. they ran, I saw a stat today that LeBron takes more super a higher percentage of his team's last five second shots than any other player in the league. Oh yeah. Yeah. I saw that, uh, that, that chart. Yeah. Yeah. That wasn't rolling the roller on Twitter. I mean, that's, that is, if, if you want to talk about the LeBron tax, that is the LeBron tax right there. Like, well, you, you, you saw my, uh, you saw my theory on that, right? Yeah. That. So yeah. Explain your theory. Well, well, you know, LeBron's always been a little bit of a head case. Everyone knows that. Um, And earlier in his career, I thought LeBron usually made the right decision in end-of-game situations. He would pass it to guys if they were opened, and if he needed to be the one to take to the rack, he would do that. Uh, And I don't remember him taking a ton of bad, like, long jumpers, like the Kobe special. But, um, you know... There was an all-star game a couple of years ago, and I'm guessing this was around the time when LeBron was just sort of getting killed for not being clutch or whatever. And in the all-star game, LeBron tightened up and got scared to shoot. And Kobe went over to him and, like, gave him a look like, are you serious? Like, you're not even going to shoot in an all-star game? And he might have even said something to him like, dude. And I feel like that really shook LeBron up. Like, what is wrong with me that I'm not man enough to to take a, a you know, a potential game-tying shot or whatever in an all-star game? Like, Because I'm worried that if I miss, what it'll do. I got to find a video of that because I know it exists. Yeah. And, I'm, and I feel, you know, and now I think LeBron's just like robotically, like everything, I, I'm going to take every, I'm going to take every technical, I'm going to take every end-of-game shot. Oh, David Blatt, you're going to call for me to inbound a J.R. Smith or whatever. Uh, that's ridiculous. I'm taking the last shot. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know what it is. I, I, I don't know why he seems unwilling to accept the fact that he's not a good shooter because he's still so dominant in so many facets of the game. I mean, he could be one of the best players in the league right now I mean, he is one of the best players, despite the fact that he's taking so many outside shots. But imagine if he made it a point to just not take jumpers and threes and all these deep shots that he keeps taking that he's not good at. I don't know. Yeah, well, it's not yeah, like it's I, not like the Cavs. It's like the Cavs are lacking floor spacers. You know, no, it's not like well, the, somebody's he be the greatest power forward in the league. Right. It's not like oh well. I mean, who's going to take those threes? It's like I don't know. Kyrie, Kevin Love, Richard Jefferson, J.R. Smith. I mean, they got a bunch of three-point shooters on Demont the team. Jumper, who not a bad corner three-shooter this year. Well, now they got Channing Fry. I mean, it's like the list goes on and on. It's like half the team are well, You heard good my new nickname shooters. for him, right? I probably did remind me. Sleepy. Because <laughs> he, is the, he is the second coming of Sleepy Sam Perkins. Like, but not sleep, not Sleepy Floyd. <laughs> no, no, not Sleepy Floyd. I mean, he he still he even has the same like his eyes just seem half closed when he's on the court. Uh, he he looks as if he could slip into a narcoleptic slumber at any point. <laughs> I, yeah. I I have been so unimpressed with his lateral movement. His did um, he put on did he put on weight over the last couple of years? Yeah, he's a little 
he he's got a little old man weight to him. I feel like I saw him a few years ago, and he he was you know he was a rail, a pretty skinny guy, yeah. And now he looks pretty chunky out there. He's not chunky. I mean, he's still got defined arms, but yeah, he does seem a little. He's got a little more weight on him. Mm. A little more dough. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, speaking of guys who need more weight on him, Kevin Love has. After having that unblockable hook shot early in the season, does not seem to be able to finish inside anymore. Like everything is out of the mid range in the long range again. Yeah. Um. Does he need to put on some upper body strength and put on a little more weight again before next year? Because I I don't, know. I don't know what his deal is. He. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> he he boggles my mind, but I I really don't think the problem with the Cavaliers is Kevin Love. I I don't the, either. The problem with the Cavaliers to me is Kyrie Irving. Well, and, I think I think I, I think sorry. the problem is just in general these guys for whatever reason don't know how to complement each other. Which right. on paper they should be a perfect complement to each other, but. It's just it's just not really happening. I know LeBron didn't play tonight, but I don't know. They, they don't I, play like they enjoy playing with each other. Yeah. Like, no one seemed to be enjoying themselves that night or today. And maybe, they, they, it's, a, maybe it's a hangover of the uh, Raptors game, but the, they be. also don't seem very mentally tough in that why does it always take them two games to bounce back? And – you know, they had the game, well, we're going to burn the game footage. Well, first game they were going to burn the game footage was the Warriors game. And then they were going to burn the game footage from the uh, Portland game. And then there was the second Warriors game. And now we've got this game, and they've gotten just absolutely – when they play bad, they play really bad. I yeah, they're – I don't know if there's a team in the league that wouldn't have beaten them last night. Yeah. Or today, this afternoon. Sorry. I yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> but there's something there's something about this team that I don't know, it's hard to put my finger at. They just and, and they do play really well sometimes. Like I thought they played really well against Oklahoma City. In Oklahoma City. They played fantastically, although I said that last weekend. Oklahoma City played terribly in that game. But they're still a good team, and they right, were still but, in Oklahoma City, and those guys were still healthy. Yeah. So, you know, the Cavs took it to them. Um, but they just – I don't know. They Last year was so weird because they were a little bit uh, bipolar. Then they went – then they just started playing terribly, and they actually got under 500. Everyone was like – Panicking. We thought that if uh, they lost that game to the Lakers, that David Blatt would get fired. Um, and that was the game, I believe, where Kevin Love took that charge at the end. And it kind of energized the whole thing. It kind thing. of energized them. They beat the Clippers, you know, like the next day or two, or two days later or something like that. And they just went on a tear. And just almost the entire rest of the season, uh, they just were pretty dominant. Like, they were one of the best three teams in the league, no question. And then, you know, of course, Kyrie got kind of banged up at the end, and Love got his arm ripped out. But they really morphed into 
just a solid defensive team. They just they played with a lot of grit and a lot of energy, and they were you know out rebounding teams. They looked tougher than pretty much everyone. I thought they looked tougher than the Warriors for like the first four games of the finals before they kind of just faded out after Delhi got you know dehydrated. Yeah, and I just don't see I just don't see that this year. I don't no, see that level of toughness. I was arguing toughness. with people today. Like people want to say, well, oh well, last year. Blah blah blah, and I was like, "Well, last year they were thirty and three going into the playoffs. You, you know, they, it, it wasn't as if they just turned it on instantly. Uh, yeah, they well, they weren't thirty and three, but they were. No, I mean, they, no, since the mid mid January they were thirty and three. They had a thirty and saying, three stretch going into the are playoffs. You, are you are you referring to the stat when LeBron, Love, and Kyrie all played? They weren't thirty and three. They they lost a couple games. But so if you if you start January fifteenth, okay, I guess I guess I'll have to go. Well, they lost nine games. So at at, at, at let's see, at January thirteenth, they lost to Phoenix. That was LeBron. Remember, LeBron was back, um, and all the new guys were there, and they still lost to Phoenix. That was when uh, Markeith Morris actually just kind of punked them, and they went below five hundred for the first time. They went nineteen and twenty. And then the next game was the Kevin Love took the charge against the Lakers. So they were at 19 and 20 and they finished the season um, 53 and 29. So after that, they lost nine games and they won 34 games. Yeah. So they were 30, they were 34 and nine to finish out the season, but they did drop two games um, out of their last four where, I don't know, they just they seemed like they were they knew they were going to get the two seed. There was no way they were going to get the one seed. They kind of mailed it in. So really, they went 32 and 7, which is, that's pretty good. Um, and a lot of their losses were close. Like, they lost a game by two to Houston, or I don't think, like, Kyrie or LeBron, or one of the two didn't play. Uh, you know, they, anyway. Yeah, there no, was a there was a stretch there was a stretch of dominance that included beatdowns like winning by thirty. Like oh yeah, they were killing that, teams. They were they were killing teams. Um, they were they were killing good teams. You know. Yeah, and they, they had the, they, the best game of the regular season last year, the overtime win in San Antonio. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, was, that was the best game of any game in the regular season by any team last year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they had a game, they beat Boston by, I mean, they won, ended up winning by 31 or something, but I feel like in, in that game, um, they were up. Yeah, they, they, they lost the fourth quarter by 11 points and still won by 31. 30, 31. 30, 31. 31. So yeah. they were just taking it two teams. Um, and we just haven't seen that this year. Like, they win a couple games. They look kind of good. There's some good things to talk about. Then they just have a couple setbacks. It's just that, it's, and I have not seen a lot of a lot of good wins against quality teams. I mean, we saw the Oklahoma City. There game. was the uh, there was the one against the Spurs. Yeah, they had the. Spurs that was a good game. win. Uh, they did beat Detroit, I believe. Um, yeah, but right? yeah, they beat Detroit one oh one fourteen one oh six at the end of January. Uh, they beat the Pacers in Indiana. Which that was the game where they lo- dropped two afterwards, and we said there was absolutely like 
they oh yeah, they shouldn't have won that. They shouldn't, they shouldn't have won, won that game. That. No. Yeah. Right. So really, they lost two straight. They had the Boston game was fluky. The Charlotte game, they just played like crap. They should have lost the Indie game. So it's just it's just this pattern now where they like yeah. they win a couple and then they have a couple duds. They win a couple and then a couple duds. Yeah. And it's just I don't know I don't know what it is, but their defense since Lou took over has been like league average, which is not championship level defense. No, it's been bad. And well, the offense just seems hit or miss. Like it's go out and drop average against teams that are not very good offensive teams. I mean, you look at the teams they're playing against since Lou took over, and it's you know Minnesota, Phoenix, uh, San Anto- San Antonio's got a good offense, but Charlotte, New Orleans, Sacramento, L.A., uh, Chicago. None of those teams are just absolute world beaters on on offense. Yet they're giving up 111 points to the Lakers. Mm-hmm. You know who are terrible, yeah, or terrible yeah. as uh, as Chuck Barkley would say, or yeah. they're giving up 106 points to Detroit. You know, they're not playing great defense. No, and it's not any. Well, I mean, the biggest thing is their inability to defend the pick and roll. And, and well, or or just I mean, it's not even just the pick and roll. I mean, in isolation, yeah. Kyle Lowry was killing them. It's yeah. their inability to, to stop dribble penetration. Yeah, from any spot on the floor. Yeah. Uh, and Kyrie Irving's just getting killed. I, I mean, and I, I said it when we were recapping the Toronto game. You run Kyrie off two picks and it's done. It's over. He can't get – he. there's a 30% chance he might get around one pick. But if you run two picks on him, it's – you know, there's there's a 10% chance he's getting around that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and and I he just seems so clueless on defense well, yeah, and uncaring. You had you had a uh, a great line. I, I don't know what it was, but maybe it was in the five on five, or maybe no, it was in our it was in our back and forth, our, our recap of the Toronto game, where you said, "What did you call Kyrie?" You said he's the. What was the line you used to describe him? I don't know. Let's look it up. <laughs> Oh come on! You can't even remember your own best I, work. That was a, I've been I've been blogging a lot this weekend, Tom. Yeah, you know I've been doing political blogging on the side too. What you have? No, Please I just made that up. That. Oh God! I would not want to read that. <laughs> but no, you were you were alluding to the point that how is Kyrie? Oh yeah, so such he, an unintelligent. He seems like such a cerebral guy off the court yet he plays such an unintelligent and unaware game right um oh here it is he said you said i don't get i don't get Kyrie irving we talk about fake tough guys oh yeah Kyrie might be a fake smart guy that that line was perfect because i just don't get it either it's like how can a how can a guy that yeah on the outside he seems cerebral it's like he went to duke um, you know, in post game, you know, any kind of interviews he with doesn't come media, across as a dumb guy. No, he does not. And yet, it's like you watch him play, and you're like, dude, like what? How did you not anticipate that screen? Or like, why would you just dribble into the corner? Like, why wouldn't you swing it back around? Um, I mean, he 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 honestly like plays like the dumbest like street ball player you've ever played with. 
a guy that's just like, <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to like do fancy stuff. And well, what was it we said? He's he's a taller Allen Iverson with a better jump shot. Yeah, but that, not anywhere. But not anywhere near as much heart as Iverson had. or or quickness. He, you know, Kyrie, yeah, uh, Iverson could explode out of that yeah. crossover. And maybe that's why he struggles defensively because he doesn't really use. I mean, he's quick, but well, really offensively, he creates all this space because he's just a wizard. I mean, he also he has the, terrible defensive instincts. He gets out of his stance so often, like he can't maintain a stance for an entire twenty-four second possession. Yeah, I Ben Ben put a great put together a great scouting report on him. He just can't. He he can't string together two defensive possessions where he's got good defensive mechanics in a row. Yeah. He just, I don't know if he's poorly coached. He's lazy. Just doesn't care. And uh-huh. and at this point, I really feel like my my big worry on the Cavs right now is that they won't find someone dumb enough to trade for to give them a haul for Kyrie Irving and or Kevin Love before next year. That they'll kind of get uh, exposed in this year's playoffs, and all of a sudden those Godfather offers are going to disappear. That, and, and that's yeah. my biggest worry. You know, because I feel like I, – I don't feel like the Cavs are going to win anything with the Kyrie Irving we see right now. And and I totally agree with Ben Worth when he says, you know, Kyrie Irving had one great defensive block in the finals, and that might be the highlight of his defensive career <laughs> uh, yeah. on Kyrie. On, and the only thing that gives me hope is that Steph Curry – was not nearly as good when he was 23 as he is now. Yeah. Uh, so so maybe Kyrie can come around. But the other thing that concerns me is is this age difference with the Cavs. You've got Kyrie who's 23, and from everything we know about aging curves in the NBA, you really kind of don't hit your peak until like that 26 to 29 range. You know, and Kevin Love's right there. Yet we've seen some regression in his ability to finish around the rim and defensively and even rebounding wise. Uh, He does seem to be a smarter player, but he doesn't seem to be nearly as physically dominant as he was at other points in his career. And then you've got LeBron, whose window is now, you know, everybody says with his game, he's probably going to significantly start deteriorating within the next two years. I mean, by the time Kyrie hits his prime, LeBron's going to be out of his and Kevin Love's going to be nearing the end of his. And that that's what concerns me about this team more than anything. I feel like the age ranges are a little too goofy. And Kyrie doesn't strike me right now as a guy that the way he's playing and maybe maybe it, he needs another year to come back from the injury. It certainly wasn't yeah, a significant injury. That could, that could be it, but, yeah. I, I don't. I don't see it happening this year, Tom. I, I, well, I don't and, either. I, and I've been talking to some Cavs fans that are in denial. You know, I think Toronto can beat them in a playoff series, and a lot of people are like, "No, no, no." You know, it took a Herculean effort from Kyle Lowry and blah blah blah. 
And yet here we are. DeMar DeRozan didn't play. DeMar Carroll or DeMar DeRozan was sick. DeMar Carroll didn't play. Uh, Patrick Patterson didn't light it up. They've got other guys that can go off on that team. You know, it's not as if they're devoid of talent as a team and they've got good defensive role players and they've got a, a good bench. So if, if things break right for them, they absolutely can beat the Cavs. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, and, they, I, I think the last couple of seasons, Lowry was just banged up Yeah, down the stretch and going into the, I mean, if you remember last year, uh, the Raptors, I believe for a, a, a period of time, we're number one team in the East. And then Atlanta, yeah. of course, just went on that crazy tear. Yeah. But they looked really good in November and December last yeah. year. And then they started dealing with some injuries. And I feel like Lowry, I don't know if it was a groin injury or what, but he was just kind of not himself yeah, a lot he, of times really, last year. Yeah, that injury really slowed him down. And then they were talking They were talking during the broadcast about how he lost some weight and he kind of yeah. got more chiseled in the offseason. Um, you can see I, it. I mean, he. Yeah, you can see it. He does look. He does look more ripped this year. So, I subtitled that piece "The Best Player in the Eastern Conference," and I'm not sure you can argue with that after last night. Well, that at that game, he certainly was. But yeah. Um. So I guess here's my question about the Cavs. They don't play like a scrappy team that 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 feels scared. And they don't play like a dominant team that feels superior. That has like, swagger. That has the swagger to say like we're better than them. You know what I mean? Um, you know there was the there was that whole thing that happened last year where they lost to the Hawks uh, late in the season, but they mounted like a pretty big comeback near the end of the game. And there were some pundits after the game saying like, well, this just you know, kind of furthers the point that, uh, you know, the, the Atlanta has once again kind of showed the Cavs that uh, they can't hang. And I remember Windhurst talking on a podcast saying, actually, I think the Cavs now don't believe the Hawks can actually beat them. Like they have this, this yeah. mental edge that's like, all right, you know, you guys are a little bit smoking mirrors over there and we know how you tick. And, and the Cavs scored – uh, you know, they got, they got kind of, um, they got kind of jumped on by the Hawks. They got down big and then they mounted this furious comeback and it was like, they eventually ran out of gas, but they didn't feel like, you know, the Hawks could beat them in the playoffs. And of course the Cavs ended up sweeping the Hawks in the playoffs. I just haven't seen that this year where it's like, they, well, they here's one thing there. that's scary about Toronto is uh five man wrap them. They have the second best lineup in the league right now. Uh, behind the Barnes, Curry, Draymond Green, Iguodala, Clay Thompson lineup, the Bismack. Five, wait, five man wrap them. Where are you getting five man wrap? Em? Five man wrap them. Come on, Tom. Uh, five man wrap them uh, from uh, Jeremiah Singleman, who I believe. What? I thought every time I go to his site, it's like down. Well, uh, from his Twitter account. Oh, from his Twitter account. Yeah, uh, he posts Google Docs. Anyway, um, Bismack Biombo, hey, Corey Joseph, Kyle Lowry, Patrick Patterson, and Terrence Ross, uh, a 13.9 total rack. Wait, that didn't have DeMar DeRozan in it? No. But, Interesting. 
No, but when you think about it, I mean, I think Bismack Biombo might be the best backup center in the NBA. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> great shot blocker. Uh, Corey Joseph, very good defensive uh, guard. Kyle Lowry, very good defensive guard. Patrick Patterson and Terrence Ross are your floor stretchers. You know, that's a solid lineup. And they're posting a league-best 7.4 DRAP'em right now uh, for five-man <laughs> units, which is really a stunning number. And the Cavs check in at number five with the Delhi, LeBron, Love, J.R. Smith, Tristan Thompson lineup. And then, of course, you know, half the lineups in the top 20 are, are Warriors lineups. But, uh, you know, that's a the Raptors have flexibility. They have the ability to go big or go small, especially when Carroll and DeRozan are back. DeRozan's a guy who can close games, get his own shots. He's not a complete and total, you know, black hole the way he was the last few seasons, uh, just chucking it from mid-range. Uh, he, he's mm-hmm. much more efficient than this year. And they've got a guy who's an absolute fierce competitor in Kyle Lowry. And the Cavs, I don't know if they have that guy when LeBron's not locked in. Yeah, I, I know. I and, wish and I could disagree team, with you. But. They play like they hate each other. They don't seem to enjoy each other. And I... You know, I, I, I'm going to beat my drum here, but they seem like they really miss Andy, which, you know, I got killed for on on the Twitters today for uh, saying they miss Andy and his energy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but he certainly couldn't have done worse than Channing Fry did today. Yeah. You know, and let, let's talk about Andy, the guy who won the basketball lottery that went from not playing in Cleveland to being the first guy off the bench to hug Steph Curry when he hits 36 footers to win the game. In yeah. And they, and they showed the clip of that shot on the cast yeah. broadcast today. And yeah, so all cast fans got to see that Curry yeah. jumping and Barrage hugging him as he, as he ran yeah. towards the bench. Yeah. I mean, the guy has fit in seamlessly from a chemistry standpoint on that team already. Uh, it, it seems like maybe his catalytic abilities could could be useful on the Cavs right now. I don't know. Well, I thought they could have been useful all season long. I, I never really well, understood yeah. why he didn't get him. I, I, well, I mean, when I say his catalytic abilities, I think he's a great bench guy. Like he's a glue guy on the bench in the locker room that, you know, he makes everybody laugh. Who doesn't like Andy? Like you need those you need those people around as just kind of buffers. Right. Or, you know, personality conflicts. You, yeah. You've you've been in work environments where you have two people that just, you know, they hate working together. Yet <laughs> when you put them in a larger group and there's some people that can kind of be a buffer, it, it helps the whole team. You oh, know yeah, what I mean? Sure. Yeah. I, I feel like Andy has to be one of those guys. And, you know, maybe he's a total jerk behind closed doors. No, he's not. I mean, everyone, <laughs> when, when everyone that talks Ever about came you in contact or reports him, yeah. about you yeah says that you're you know a good guy so and yeah and, and guy, so. all these people just ripping you know andy was worthless blah 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 yet the smartest teams in the league all wanted him when the Cavs yeah. let him go makes me think you know maybe you're not as smart as greg popovich and steve kerr i don't know maybe right. maybe, maybe you are smarter than those guys but you haven't proven it to me yet so, well, I just I, I fundamentally 
I guess look at look at basketball differently than most fans because I mean it's it's not unreasonable to watch Verja this year and say he's just not playing like he used to. It's 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 totally reasonable to say he's lost a step defensively. I mean he has. Yeah. Um, he's not a great defensive player. I mean, no, I, I he's never. He's not the worst in the league either. No, no, he, he's clearly not. Uh, I mean, but, but, you but can't say that in a league where Jamal Crawford and Mo Williams are playing. And Anthony Bennett, yeah, yeah, and, Anthony Bennett. Oh my right, Lord. it's like here, here's the here's you, my biggest here's problem. my fun my favorite part. Just as an aside, my favorite part of that um, Raptors game. Friday was that Anthony Bennett came in in the second quarter and no one noticed. <laughs> Do you even remember him coming in? I only remember him because people were tweeting about it. Yeah. No, see, I don't even remember him coming in. I didn't even realize until I was reading the play-by-play, like after the game. Do the reason. yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Sorry, what were you saying? Well, no, it's just it, it's kind of like I and this is again I blame. I mean, I blame just the way people have always digested basketball, but the vinification of the NBA has really yeah. taken this to an extreme is that people watch Barish out. They'll see him maybe not move his feet as quickly as he used to, or they'll see him miss some layups. I guess he missed some layups yeah. against the thunder and they well, conclude that he's just terrible. You got to get him off the court. Well, I, and also I almost wonder, you know, we, we talked about the box scoreification. But I almost wonder if it's this single-day fantasy stuff. Like, Andy is never going to be a guy that's going to give you any stats in single-day fantasy basketball. Right. You know, FanDuel, Andy is – but I wonder if that also colors people's opinions. Because I said it today when we were kind of going back and forth on Twitter. Andy sets great screens and times his roles really well. And you can have a guy that does that, never scores – and helps everybody else on the floor yes. because yes. he clears the lane and you can go right in behind him. Where he draws There's the all... defense in when he cuts, he sets great screens. You right. Know, he makes There's all sorts passes. of things. There's yeah. all sorts of things you can do. And the the bottom line is if if you put five guys out on the floor and and those five guys outscore the other five guys, you you did what your job. What the hell else matters? What the hell else matters? Right. I don't care if you blew 100 layups. Right. If you win by 10, good right. job. Like, that's what you were supposed to and, do. And so, you know what? I, I ripped Kobe Bryant uh, for, you know, being an absolute chucker. And then on Grantland, they had a great piece t- talking about the Kobe Bryant assist that he yeah. has, that he frees up offensive rebounders better than any other player in the league. And it's like, I well, mean, this was when Kobe Bryant was still decent. Well, but, so I, I, we, we know, got, I in our, we got into pro on that is what I'm saying. We got into an argument today about this and where, what really caught me off guard was that people use the phrase that Verizon is unplayable. And I mean, my initial reaction to that was almost shock and awe. It's like, wait a minute. You realize, like, just a week ago, the best team in the league, by far, actually cut a player on their they roster. Actually paid more money. Yeah. And, and cut a player. I mean, talk about, like, if they ain't broke, don't fix it. They are on pace to set the all-time wins record. They're probably going to cruise to their second straight title. And they cut a player to pick up Anderson Verja. But yet... 
you are telling me on Twitter that Vergeau is unplayable. And then you look at the fact that he has played now in three or four games for the Warriors. And in that time, very he's played like 34 minutes or something. And in that time, uh, I think the Warriors are like plus nine or plus 11 or something like yeah. that. Like they're outscoring opponents in the time he's on the court. So what I don't care. If he's, matters? I don't care if he's 0 for 100. I don't care if he, he trips on his own feet and he and his pants fall down. It's like I don't care what he does. Like when he's out there injected into that lineup, the team is winning and doing what they're supposed to do. How is he not quote unquote playable? It's just it's it's mind boggling. Well, there's so but many yet, people that just follow. It's like if you're not putting up fantasy stats, you're not a guy. You're not a good player. But there's so many. You know, the analytics revolution is all about. To me, the real Moneyball aspect of analytics revolution is finding guys who don't have to score and that you can put with low usage players to make them play even better. And right. to make your team play even better. Right. You know, guys, and, and it's one reason that PER for some of these guys is such a terrible metric. Right, because PER, it, it takes into account usage so much. Right, if you're a low-usage so, player, it kills yeah, you. Just PER not gonna be, is not going to be over over 12. And, you know? and big, big men that get rebounds because somebody has to get a rebound almost always have above-average PERs. I mean, J.J. Hickson was like, yeah. I think he had a PER of like 20-something when he was with the Cavs, yeah. and it was like everyone knew that he was a net negative. Yeah. And so I'm not saying Verzal's even good anymore. I'm saying he's certainly playable. Yeah. <laughs> like, no. And he's not the worst defensive player in the league. And the thing is, I think it's silly to look at Verzal, or I guess what I don't understand is when Verzal came into the league, he was a power forward. And it was like, look, this guy is not strong enough to deal with back-to-the-basket bruisers. And you, you, he's not going to be able to guard Dwight Howard. He's not going to be able to guard Shaq. And, he'll, you know, he can hang, hang with the Kevin Garnetts and the Rasheed Wallace's of the world, the guys that are more like stretch fours. And that's why he was valuable. And his most valuable asset was his energy, how he would track down loose balls. He was good at defending the pick-and-roll for a big man. I mean, at one point, he was extremely good, like maybe one of the best pick-and-roll big defenders in the league. He could guard bigs. He could guard smalls. He's lost some of that foot speed. But to look at him now and say, like, well, guys shoot a pretty high percentage in the immediate basket area when he's guarding you. It's like, well, they always have. He's never been a guy that's like, oh, you've got good post position against him. He's going to shut you down. He's not a shot block. Right. And he's not a – And he's not a. am not saying he has a little body, but he's not like a bruiser. He's, he's an energy guy. So it's like right. the, well, the, warrior, the Warriors felt like this guy can help our team. They've, they picked him up, and they didn't pick him up because they wanted him to be their Sasha Khan in case all hell broke loose. He's playing. <laughs> you know, he's playing minutes. He's playing double-digit right. minutes. And it's yeah. like you're gonna, but you're gonna conclude that he's unplayable. I, I, I don't know. It's just. <laughs> so here's a question I have. That's a, that's incredible. Here's me. a question I have, and you asked it on the Anderson Varejao five on five. Mm-hmm. Do you think the Cavs should hang Andy's jersey? Because I, I have very strong opinions about. Well, this, I, I sort of have. There's there's three ways to look at this. So there's what would I do, and yes, I would. There's what do I sort of think, you know, just 
kind of like uh, what's the traditional thinking? You know, golf what, has what all these the like orthodoxy? unspoken rules. Like, yeah, okay. I, I guess as an unspoken rule, I, I kind of think he's not the orthodox. I don't feel like retiring him would go along with the orthodoxy. Uh, yeah. But the the sort of the sort of analytical way to look at it, um, without injecting my emotional biases, is that while he would not be retired by most teams and most franchises, the Cavs are not a storied franchise. I mean, right. we love them, but they have no championships. They only have two finals appearances. They lost, obviously, both of them. Right. Um, and if you look at them through that prism, you say they've had a few exciting teams that we fell in love with, and that's it. So a team that's been around for 46 years now only has seven guys retired. Yeah. Um, and, the, and I would argue that the third best player – from the LeBron 1.0 era was Verizon. Z was the second best player. I, I don't think you would get much of an argument from a lot of people. Right. And, and I know and he was also, you know, was it Corey? Somebody, it was either Corey or Ben, I can't remember who it was, uh, made the point that the Cavs don't get to the finals against Detroit without Anderson Verizon's defense on Rasheed Wallace. In the Detroit series in 2007. And for, to me, you know, that's worth it alone. If, if you need one, cause LeBron had that amazing game five. Yeah. Remember that where yeah. he scored like 20 some points in a row. Yeah. But Andy was the guy that was shutting down the, uh, the, the Pistons on defense. So, you know, and that to me is, you know, if you don't get there without that guy, and you only have two finals appearances in your franchise history, you know, maybe you should have it. If Jim Jones got it for having two years, um, yeah. You mean, uh, you, you, mean, um, you, mean, you mean Nate Thurman? Nate Thurman, I'm sorry. If yeah. Nate Thurman got it for being on the Cavs for, you know, Well, see, and that's, years, so that's a good example. Nate Thurman's jersey was retired because – they were trying to sort of legitimize the franchise. And Nate Thurman was one of the best defensive players of all time up to that point. And he joined the Cavs very late in his career, but it was sort of like the first uh, bona fide superstar that played for the Cavs was Nate Thurman. And so that's why they retired his jersey. So Verizhao would be kind of the opposite case. He's a guy that isn't a bona fide star, but he played there a long time. He's in the top 10 in a lot of statistical categories. And top five in some. Yeah, and his if you take if you take uh, Jeremiah Engelman's 14-year uh, wrap-up from 2000 to 2014, um, he's in the top 100 in the whole league. I think he's even in the top 70. Yo, and there's, so there's that's, that's really good. Top 15. Oh, yeah, but I'm saying over that entire time frame, you're talking about hundreds of players, yeah. like not like 400 players. You're, you're actually probably talking about well over 1,000 players that played in the NBA between 2000 and 2014. And if you were to average all of their um, single-season wrap he shows up, I mean, like pretty highly ranking. So, again, no one would ever probably care about that. They would say, oh, he averaged like eight rebounds and eight points a game for his career. Like he's trash or whatever. It's like, 
that's because you don't really understand basketball. You don't understand yeah. how valuable a guy like Verizal can be. No, and, and I feel like so much of this now has been as we've understood analytics more and as we've understood how pacing or spacing and what guys do on the court, especially defensively, uh, as, as a kind of our knowledge has changed, you look at a guy like Vergeau and you're like, wow, that, that is incredibly valuable. And people who don't see that don't understand basketball anymore, you know, and they're the ones that don't, you know, I argue with people all the time that Draymond Green's one of the top five players in the NBA. And because he is, A, a defensive Swiss Army knife, B, you can play him with anyone, and and C, he's a facility, he's just a catalyst. Yeah. Yet, you know, people want to say, oh, these guys that just stuffed the box score are, are the best players. But Tim Duncan was, you know, he had some fantastic box score games. But he was always a guy that sublimated his game for the team. Somehow yeah. he's still considered one of the best power forwards. But well, he has the rings. That's why. Well, but, yeah, that is. But yeah. he he'll go down, and I mean he he will he will go down as a better player than Kobe. I mean, in in twenty years when we're not having these petty arguments about like plus minus and how valuable it is, and we yeah. kind of um, you know we kind of converge on like okay so well this is what i hope happens because right now i'm so frustrated with espn for the way they're doing this rpm thing where tom like on a weekly basis they use rpm to like host talk shows and like let's talk let's talk with david thorpe about rpm this week and it's december and david thorpe goes well what's really interesting is so and so is now ranked 50th in rpm and it's like that is just you are totally perverting the stat and you're <laughs> you're using it for marketing purposes and anything where you're going to regularize um, and you don't have enough sample size it's just going to be very flawed right. it's right. going to be very flawed over well, time over time over a season's worth the games that's that is like really the best we have i mean it really is over a month or two you can't trust it as far as you can spit so well, and, and in a way you're kind of arguing against your earlier argument that andy's you know plus nine in his 36 minutes means something no but i'm talking about no no i'm not undermining my argument that's okay. raw plus okay so you're minus. saying that, that raw is plus that is minus. here is you're saying the I'm raw saying, plus minus. Uh, okay, I, I'm really glad. I'm really glad I'm getting the chance to to do this rant. So raw plus minus is what has actually happened, and it's a it's what's a, the important thing to recognize is that raw plus minus, or people will just say plus minus sometimes, is a team stat. Okay, that's 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 really important, and that always gets muddied. And I'm as bad as everyone because I'll say Andy's plus minus was. Really, that is shorthand for the Cavs plus minus when Andy was on the court was X. That's really what you're saying. But there's it's it's completely true. There is no people can say, well, that doesn't mean anything. OK, you can you can argue it doesn't mean anything, but it's true. Except on the scoreboard. <laughs> it's true. It's what happened. So that's why the argument that like Andy's not playable. It's like, no, he is because he did play. And things were good. Like and you were winning. So I, so I don't want to hear 
all your reasons. The fact of the matter is he did play and the Cavs did well. Therefore, he was playable. And if he was playable, it lends to reason that you could try it again and wait till it stops working before you say he's unplayable. Right. If it stops working, feel free to be like, hey, look, it stopped working. He's unplayable. But while it's still working, he's playable. So raw plus minus is a team stat, but it is true. There is no nothing to confuse you about it. You can decide how meaningful it is for an individual player. Right. Uh, and, And that is where adjusted plus minus comes in and regularized adjusted plus minus comes in or now ESPN's variant called real plus minus. The whole point of APM and RAPM and RPM is, is divvying up credit to individuals for team success or failure. So it is now trying to slice and dice that plus 10 and say of these five players, Who deserves two points? Who deserves five points? Who deserves negative three points? Like, who was actually bringing these guys down and the brilliance of LeBron actually pulled the team up to plus whatever while he was playing with these scrubs? That's what it tries to do. And the problem is, it's, it's, it's very simple. Like, in, in basic, you know, algebra, you learn about systems of equations where you have like, uh, you have X number of unknowns and you have X number of equations. And if you have like four equations and four unknowns, there you go. You can solve for your unknowns using algebra and substitution. Well, that's great. So when you're talking about the NBA, you have 430 some odd players and you have tens of thousands of scoring plays where a team got plus one, plus two, plus three, or minus one, minus two, minus three, or nothing, or nothing happened. So you end up with thousands of equations and like 400 unknowns, because the unknowns are how valuable is this player? That's called an overdetermined system. And so with really, you know, computers with a crap ton of RAM, you can regularize that gigantic matrix. And it's just like doing algebra. You can figure out how should we give credit to each of these players? The only way that's going to be truthful is if you have enough samples. If you only have a month's worth of games or two months worth of games, it's just not trustworthy enough because it's like we saw this this season where, you know, the first month of the season, Delhi was like incredible and his RPM was like in the 300s. And it's like this makes no sense. His box score stats are really good and he's been playing really well. How the hell is he like 300? And LeBron was like number two and Kevin Love was like number three. Well, it was all priors, right? It was all priors. It was so looking explain, at explain Tom for the audience what priors are. Priors are just using past information to kind of help you, you know, it's like you're it's like where you're gonna aim, right? It's like, well, you know, an example of a prior in the real world is like, well, this guy hit a home run the last time up. So the outfielders move back when he steps to the plate. Now, if he hits a little, like, bloop single, it's like, well, I guess our prior, you know, didn't really help us. But in general, it's not a bad thing to try to make a prediction about something based on previous knowledge. So priors could be, like, what the player's wrap was the previous season. Right. It could be, like, how old the player is. Like, well, we know, like you were saying earlier, players in their mid to late 20s tend to do a little better than the previous season. There's all kinds of things you can do for priors. And a lot of these guys have spent time 
uh, picking out this information and learning what good priors are. I personally, to me, I don't know enough about it to choose them. So I just do vanilla wrap them. And again, there's just not enough samples. Well, early and a lot season. of wrap them, uh, you know, people don't understand. A lot of wrap them is two years. So you're averaging right. data sets over the last 24 months going into possibly as far back as the 2013-2014 season. Right. And so, uh, again, so here's what happened with the Cavs so with, or with Delhi. So in the beginning of the season, lineups that featured LeBron, Kevin Love, and Delhi were going gangbusters. In fact, at one point, Delhi was top five in the entire NBA in raw plus minus. Again, now that's not really Delhi. It's the Cavs were top five in raw plus minus when Delhi was on the court. <laughs> and yet he was like 300th in RPM. This is back in like late November, early December. Right. It's like, what the heck is going on? And when I looked through the data, I realized, okay, so clearly anytime Delhi plays with LeBron or K-Love, RPM is giving all of the credit to LeBron and Caleb. They're actually treating those guys as like, wow, they are digging deep to, uh, in spite of Delhi's, you know, horrific play, these guys are playing so phenomenally well, the Cavs are still looking good. Well, here's what ended up happening. As time went by and there were more lineups that that matrix got uh, bigger, there were more plays, there were plays. Plenty of situations where it was like just LeBron and Kevin Love and no Delhi, and they didn't destroy people. Or there were lineups without either LeBron or Delhi, and it was just Kevin Love, and those lineups got destroyed. And it was like RPM figured out it's it's just curve fitting. It figured out that like, hey, actually this Delhi guy is pretty important. And so in a matter of weeks, Delhi went from 300th in RPM to like 50th. Talk about a swing. And the hilarious thing was. His raw box score stats and his raw plus minus were and, actually and just, were actually worse. And and fiftieth is like top twelve per top twelve percent in the NBA. Right. So, but, know, the, but the point is, you know, to qualify that for the listeners, the point is, look at that swing. He goes from like two eightieth to like fiftieth in three weeks, and during. During those three weeks, you could make an argument that he didn't play at quite as high of a level as he did the first couple weeks of the season, right? So a couple more weeks goes by. Delhi's at like, now he's at like 90th. I don't know what he's at now. But the point is, at the end of the season, I'll feel really comfortable with Delhi's RPM. I'll, I'll be able to say, like, here's what he did this year, and I'll, I'll trust it. I don't trust it in November. I don't trust it in December. I don't trust it in January. And I certainly think it's the worst kind of stat to, on a weekly basis, let's have an RPM update to talk about the movers <laughs> and the shakers. And let's, oh, this, it's like, that is, I mean, that's just silly. And it drives yeah. me crazy because I have so much respect for Kevin Pelton. And I think he's a really smart dude. And I just feel like, why is he letting this happen? Like he, it's just marketing. It's like, he's got to know that this is not the right way to present this stat to the masses. And when you present a stat like that, that way, and someone could look and go, Oh, look, Delhi is 300th in the league and could look two weeks later and go, Oh, look, Delhi's 50th in the league. They're just going to completely tune it out and be like, well, this is stupid. This doesn't make any sense. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Which sucks because, 
then those fans that don't really understand the mechanics of how it works at the end of the season, when I write a piece and say, hey, the Cavs should really go after Andre Iguodala or the Cavs should really go after Andre Miller or I'm sorry, uh, Damari Carroll, look at their wrap up. They're going to be like, what the hell that we know that's garbage. So stop posting it. Yeah. It's like, no, but actually this is a really useful thing. So it, I just feel like they're muddy in the waters and it, it's very frustrating to me, but, um, but anyway, sorry. Thanks for letting me get that rant. No, that was awesome. I, I want to distill that and that, that should be a Rapham RPM APM primer for, you know, they should teach that in basketball elementary school. <laughs> so it's kind of like, so, I mean, it, this is really simple, like how this, the, 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 um, the way this all evolved, right? So, People started tracking plus minus and they, this is years ago and they realized this is really useful. Like, Hey, look, lo and behold, um, you know, Nick Collison's plus minus is off the charts, but Nick Collison never scores. He doesn't even grab that many rebounds and he's just kind of awkward looking white dude. Like how could he be this good? And it's like, because your eyes focus on the ball. First of all, no one's eyes focus on off the ball action. You can't decipher from your eyes, like, physical contact and, like, the mental aspect of the game. All you can watch is, like, guys dribbling and guys passing and guys raising up to shoot and whether or not the ball goes in. The cameras are even biasing you, right? Um, And so when you start keeping track of things like plus minus, you can learn things that maybe your eyes, you know, weren't telling you. And so people realize this is pretty valuable. And then right away, what they started realizing was this doesn't totally pass the smell test because you could look at a team like the Cavs in 08 and say, or 09 and say, uh, we know LeBron James is a better player than Delonte West. So why is Delonte West like the tops in the league in plus minus? And it's like, oh, right, because he usually plays with LeBron James. So he's benefiting from that. So right, right away, people realized well, we, we got it. that had these lineups that played really uh, long minute sets together where you'd have two or three really strong guys carrying two or a couple, you know, guys that weren't as good would put you, what do they call it? They call it a uh, convergence issue. Well, I think you're speaking of collinearity, collinearity. That's what I meant. Yeah. So, yeah. So, so, well, let's, let's step back. So the first thing people realized was, okay, raw plus minus is interesting, but it's a team stat. It's what the team did. So we wanted to immediately just say player and we, and we sliced it up and looked at, here's what this player did. But really what we're saying was, this is what the team did when this player was on the court. And so then people used regression, and they called it adjusted plus minus. Again, they did this whole thing where they put all the plays and all the players into a big matrix, and like a gigantic system of equations, you have 400-some-odd unknowns, and you have tens of thousands of, uh, of equations, and you uh, invert that matrix to solve for those unknowns and those unknowns are player value because if you were to add up all the players value and you know times the amount of minutes they played that should roughly give you what your team's plus minus is it makes sense right and so that was a big step in the right direction and then right away people realized this is really useful except in these cases like with the Orlando Magic where 
Dwight Howard and Marcin Gortat, I believe, never was it was it Gortat? Was he the backup to yeah. Howard? Okay, they never played together. Like they were never on the court at the same time. It was always one or the other. And so the problem is because they never shared the court together except for like one minute. And during that, you know, uh, one minute, uh, you know, I, I don't know. Let, let's say during that one minute, they got outscored by like a hundred. Now in that matrix, it's like, okay, so they just got killed. Is that Howard's fault or is that like Gortat's fault? And you don't have a lot of, uh, that, that's this whole problem with collinearity where when you get, I might be saying it wrong because I'm just shooting from the hip right now, but when you have issues where players only play with each other, like two guys almost never play without each other, or you have two players that like play the same position and are never on the court at the same time, it can cause some funky results. And they were, they were noticing this, like, oh, look, if we do APM on the 2008 season, Dwight Howard looks like the fourth best player in the league. And if we do it on the 2009 season, he actually looks bad. And Marcin Gortat looks like the fourth best player in the league. And it, and it was this problem of collinearity. And it's, it's a well-documented thing. That Gortat Howard example is what is always used to describe as a primer to describe the problems with APM. Uh, Daniel Myers, who's a great statistician, wrote extensively about all these different versions of plus minus and what, what they bring to the table. So then people realized, okay, if we use this thing called um, Tikhonov regularization, uh, we can kind of limit the, the weirdness that happens from collinearity. So it's like taking APM, kind of like smoothing it out a little bit so that these, these crazy, like fluky, high frequency sharp jumps in the data get kind of pushed down and smoothed out. Um, and so again, it's just, it's like over the course of a long season, it's going to do better than APM. Right. Um, but just because you're sort of, you're sort of deciding that you're not going to allow there to be these gigantic swings, uh, you know, wh- which is going to keep kind of collinearity to a minimum. So right. anyway, well, the, and the other thing that happens is that, uh, you know, these plus-minus stats, have, you know, they aren't an end-all, be-all of, of statistics because th- there are still problems with it, you know. And one of the problems is you can't – a computer can't figure out how hard a team is playing. A computer can't figure out if a team is just resting in the last two weeks of the season and right. isn't playing as hard. You know, right. or the Cavs are an enormous problem for plus minus because they poop the bed every two weeks. You know, yeah. so <laughs> it's like, h- how do you deal with that? So, but the only thing that you can really do is then take those numbers and try and correlate them with playoff success. But one of the most useful things is how you can figure out who's good at playing together. Yeah. Um, who, when they share the floor to d- together, have the best plus minus statistics. And then you see these two man, three man, four man and five man, you know, plus minus units. And then the other thing that they're really good at that people don't use them for enough is seeing, uh, comparing guys across seasons in different systems to see, okay, when this guy is in this system, he plays much better as a player than he does in these other systems. So you, you'll get a guy like, 
a lot of Boris, the guys that, Boris Diaw. Boris Diaw, exactly, playing for Charlotte. Charlotte versus San Antonio. Or you'll see a lot of the guys that played on the Dan, D'Antoni Lakers played their best ball of their career on the D'Antoni Lakers, yet everybody was talking about what a bad coach he was, yet half the guys on those teams are hardly playing now because he figured out how to make them effective on a terrible team. Right. I remember that, yeah. Yeah, and yet uh, everybody was talking about what a terrible coach he was when really he was doing a fantastic job because all these players that had been horrific throughout the rest of their career were playing above what they'd played at other points in their career. Yeah. You know, and that's where plus minus based statistics can really help you make informed decisions about how you play and who you play and who you play with. But, you know, no part of that can be done without, you know, some human intuition. Uh, Artificial intelligence isn't there. The box loading robot has not figured out how to, how to take us out of our uh, blogger jobs yet. Right. So so that is Tom and I's rant on plus minus. (laughs) You can make any, you can make any sense of all of that. (laughs) Yeah, no, I actually uh, really enjoyed it because I feel like that as a compliment to you, that, that was one of the best explanations I've heard of the differences between the different plus minuses and uh, statistics and also where they work and where they don't. So, yeah. And I mean, I'm, I'm glad, I'm glad now that pretty much everyone, I mean, all the beat writers, everyone is using raw plus minus now. Like they'll say, Oh, at halftime, like, you know, Kyrie's plus seven. And it's like, okay, that's great. I mean, it's, it's, it's true. It's, It's the thing. Like, it's not something that I would say don't say because the fact of the matter is it's true. You just need to remember that it's the team was plus seven yeah. when Kyrie played. And, yeah. and I've yeah. seen it where you'll see a guy and he's standing out there not really doing anything, but the rest of his teammates are playing fantastically. Yeah, and, you know, that can it's, happen. It's a great plus minus number. But then I've seen it where a guy is horrific and he has a terrible plus minus number and you're like, yeah, you're like, of course. <laughs> like, yeah, we can see it. <laughs> you, you can see it with your eyes. You know, right, that this right. number was not a lie tonight. <laughs> right, right. So it's it's catching on. I've seen plus minus now on national TV, like little infographs. So it's catching on. And I think it's fine for fans to be like, that doesn't really mean anything. That's fine. But it's true. It's not misleading. I mean, it's only misleading if – you allow yourself to believe it. it's more useful than it is. If you just think it's what the team did when this guy was on the court, that's true. There's, there's, no, there's no debate. It's what happened. You don't, it doesn't mean that guy deserves all the credit for it. It just means that's what actually happened. Yeah. Something like Rapham is, is really trying to say how valuable is each individual player. Much like PER. PER was just saying, yeah. let's take the box score stats. Let's like add these little multipliers to them. Let's make you know. some weird formula. That yeah, was, let's just make this that was weird in a way kinda... completely arbitrary. Well, it wasn't completely arbitrary, no, but, but it, well, it wasn't perfect. Was. It wasn't okay. perfect. No, but there is no perfect metric yet. No, there isn't. But I, I do like what people are doing now. There's things like, um, you know, they're 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 doing a better job. And you see these papers now at all these analytics conferences where they're figuring out what the sort of plus minus value of box score stats are. So like what's a steal 
on average actually worth? And so if you look at that um, and you realize like steals are way more valuable than rebounds, well, now you won't just treat them the same. You won't treat right. a steal like, oh, he had three steals. I'm like, oh, this guy had nine rebounds. So like, they both did good. It's like, no, the guy that got three steals, that was really huge for you guys. But then again, that can be a little bit misleading too. Dwayne Wade used to lead the league practically in steals. And the reason why is because he cheated like on every half court possession. Yeah. And well, when he or, didn't get the steals, he was Alan like, Iverson, the other... who would just play the passing lanes on every yeah, yeah. single defensive possession. Yeah. It's just shamelessly and then just get killed. Yeah. Uh, on backdoor cuts, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, but again, the, the key to all this that you need to remember is that, Box score stats um, are are peripheral to the score, right? So what really matters in basketball is the score. It's scoring more points than your teammates. So plus minus is really the most important statistic in basketball. Like your Other team's than, plus. The only more important statistic is win-loss. Yeah, right. <laughs> Outside of win-loss, plus minus, which directly factors into win-loss, is the most important metric for your team. So box score stats are you're measuring things that you hope will tell you something about the score or about win loss. Plus minus is measuring the actual thing you care about. So it's like right at the source. (laughs) So, you know, except on FanDuel on FanDuel, all they care about is the box score. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's why I was t- telling somebody the other day. I just can't get into fantasy sports. No, I can't either. It's like I look at the rankings of players, and I'm like, that guy's terrible. Like, how yeah. is he ranked 20th in fantasy? It's like, oh, because yeah. it's fantasy, and it's not yeah. real. Uh, and they just care about the fact that you know he gets all these empty rebounds, which you know doesn't help his team defensively, but he gets all these rebounds, so he must be good. Yeah. But uh, but anyway. So, so with that rant. What is that? How does that apply to the Cavaliers, Tom? <laughs> what are the takeaways that we can see from the Cavs and how they're playing this year that we kind of see through analytics? I mean, some well, of the- I I don't know about this year because I haven't run the numbers yet, but you know, back in the dark, the well, the the season of huh, right, where nothing really made sense. I always found it interesting. Well, and before that, the Herculoids. This is yeah. a, this is a really good commentary. Uh, so. The Cavs were terrible. Uh, they were trying to lose. You know, they 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 brought Luke Walton in because I think that was like part of the pain they had to endure in order to get uh, the draft pick from the Lakers, I believe. Yes. Which was that the draft pick that ended up being Tyler Zeller? I can't remember. But uh, it is. And then okay, no, so, no, Tyler Zeller. They traded two second rounders to Dallas and passed on those two second rounders. Could have been. Jay Crowder and Draymond Green. But if I remember correctly, the Cavs made a move with the Lakers and they got Luke Walton. Um, and they didn't, I mean, they didn't get him because they wanted to win more games. They, right. they took him on as a penalty for getting, I think, draft picks. So anyway, Luke Walton comes in and there's this misfit toys roster that the Cavs have. They've got like. Uh, oh, Luke Walton was the Sergei Katasev trade. Oh, okay, okay, okay. So, yeah, that's really paid dividends. But anyway, uh, so he's in there, and Luke Walton is a brilliant basketball mind, and he starts developing this chemistry with um, with Sean Livingston, who's now, like, 
basically turning he's turned his career around basically at this point at the second half of the Cavs season. You got Wayne Ellington, who's playing the role of like three and D guy. Uh, and you got Maurice Spates, who's, I don't know, he's hitting 20 foot jumpers. And this team couldn't defend traffic cones. I mean, Luke Walton couldn't move. Uh, Maurice Spates has never been a good defensive player. And Wayne Ellington, you know, even at his best days was average at best as a three and D guy. And Sean Livingston was okay on defense, but as a collective, they're a terrible defensive team. But the rest of the Cavs were a terrible defensive team. And unlike the starting lineup, which featured like Kyrie Irving and Deion Waiters, these guys, or actually, I'm not even sure, was, was Deion even there yet? Yeah, Deion was there. Yeah, he was there for that first year. Though. Here, yeah, it was his rookie year. Um, that bench unit played really effective offense. They had a good assist-to-turnover ratio. They had a good assist rate. It was like double what the other guy's rate was. And we, we kind of fell in love with them because the team was so bad. We had to root for something. And it was like, look, these are guys that have developed chemistry together. And together, they have made themselves more than the sum of their parts. And the plus-minus data bore that out. Um, and so then you got the next year rolls around where you got Mike Brown in there and the Cavs are expected to make the playoffs. And the problem was the core, which was um, Kyrie Irving, Deion Waiters, Tristan Thompson, and uh, I don't know who was the fourth guy that was considered part of the core. I'm not sure. But those three guys were just playing terribly together, like terribly together. And uh, I kind of showed that. Okay. I kind of showed that by saying, here's what each of these guys' individual plus-minus numbers are, and here's what their plus-minus numbers when they're combined are. And what you would see across the board is that when those core players would play together, the team would do worse <laughs> than they should have. So right. I guess the best way to look at it is if, if Kyrie is good and Dion is equally bad, then when they play together, they should be about even. But what you would but see they is worse. they were way worse than that yeah. across the board. Yeah. And yet and when David any Wood of has done a lot of, uh, articles yeah, he's, on Cavs yeah, he's done that. He's done that list. this year. Yeah. Which is great. The last two years uh, actually. Yeah. He's he, yeah. He picked up that. So the way what do you think that. the Cavs need to do to kind of maximize that chemistry to be better than the sum of their parts with the team they have now? Is there something they're missing? Is something Ty Lue is doing that or not doing that they should be? Yeah, I think well, I think what would really help them, to be honest with you, is just a, just some discipline towards an offensive system because and I don't what I, I don't really necessarily mean by that like they run these five plays repeatedly. What I mean is that on some nights I see like LeBron the power for the, the the point forward of old and Kyrie is completely off the ball. And then other nights I see Kyrie trying to run the offense and other nights I see them going to have does love. not seem to be any consistency from game to game. Exactly. What they do in terms of rotations in terms <clears throat> of rotations. I mean, uh, minutes rotations in terms of how they scheme on offense and how they scheme on defense. Yeah. Um, and who plays with who? It seems to be something different every night. 
and it doesn't seem like they like Kevin Love. One night they'll go to him in the post repeatedly, and another night they won't. And right. and I get the thing that you're trying to play matchups and do the best, but sometimes I feel like the Cavs need regularity regardless of who their opponent is. You know, they need they need to get into habits of how they're they need to get play. into habits. Yeah, and good because, habits, not bad habits. And the problem is that in order for the Cavs to be not a good team, not a great team, but a championship team, their best players need to be able to not only play as well as they can individually when they're all together, but they need to bring out the best in each other's talent. So. Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love's floor spacing ability needs to open up driving lanes for LeBron, as an example. And all those guys' ability to get any shot they want needs to the, – the role players, the Mozgovs and TTs and Shumperts of the world need to be flying around off ball and knowing where to go to get easy baskets. Um, I, I just don't see enough of that. Like I see it every now and then. But I don't see enough of that. And, I mean, the, the, the things I've pointed to are I don't think the team knows how to play with Kyrie Irving on offense. I think his offensive brilliance um, doesn't necessarily translate to the team getting easier baskets. I think he can get any basket he wants anytime. He's one of the best I've ever seen at it. But him being able to do that, I don't see that directly correlating to wow, Kevin Love's just getting wide open threes all game long. Like he's shooting 50% from three because no one's anywhere near him because of the way the Cavs swing the ball after Kyrie Irving does this move, right? Or, so, or the way Kevin gets to a spot before anyone else does. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we, we just don't see it consistently. And I think one of the things I've pointed out on a few podcasts with people is that when the going gets tough, the Cavs play the prevent offense. They slow it up. They cross the timeline at 16 and a half seconds. Um, and they, and they, part of that is when they get in these tough games, they lose discipline on their minutes rotations. And you, you get these things where LeBron plays 40 minutes. And of course he's walking it up at the end of the game. It's exhausting. And, and you never, ever, ever, outside of rare occasions in the playoffs, See a Greg Popovich or a Steve Kerr team doing that. So why are the Cavs not copying these teams that are the best in the league? Why? I, are, just, think I just think they're stuck in the mud and they don't. I, I think mentally, I mean, LeBron said they're mentally weak. They don't seem to be mentally in a good place. Like you said, they and, we, and like we both said earlier, they don't seem like a team that's scared and is playing with a sense of urgency and scrapping for their lives. And on the flip side, they don't seem like a team playing with a swagger. That's yeah. like, we don't care when we lose because we know we're better than you. When they lose, they hang their head. I mean, they seemed so defeated after that Toronto game. And I thought they played really hard. They just, they lost and they just all seemed kind of devastated about it. Yeah. And then well, the other, and the other part of that is I, I really see a dearth of leadership on this team. And, yeah. And leadership is not about telling people what to do. Leadership is about putting people in the best situation to succeed at what you want them to be doing. And 
I have not seen that from the Cavs at a lot of different levels uh, across the board. And we've seen it, you know, from the David Blatt firing to, you know, Ty Lue and to, you know, the way he's coaching and, you know, the way the minutes are distributed and just a lot of different stuff. It doesn't seem like anybody knows what they're supposed to be doing. It seems like the message changes all the time. They're not focusing on core things and repeating those core things over and over. It's like it's a different lesson every week and guys are confused. Uh, they don't know what they're supposed to be doing and they're giving up. And, and and that's that's a humongous problem. And one of the things today that just boggled my mind, I don't know, did you see the halftime interview with the Cavs defensive assistant? No. Um, he talked about they talked about why the Cavs defense wasn't playing well. And he said, well, we need to get some more buckets. <laughs> that's and what I'm they, like, that's what? What he said. <laughs> yeah, he said, we're not seeing the ball go in the hoop enough. Wow. So, that was a that was a Pavlovich answer. <laughs> it really was. It was completely a Pavlovich answer. Yeah. And I was just baffled. Like, if I'm the coach of the team, I'm telling guys, I don't care how many points we score, but we better play some bleep 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 defense. Yeah. Yet the Cavs mentality seems completely like those Phoenix teams under D'Antoni and David Griffin. And I'm really, really scared. Oh, now we've gone full circle. (laughs) Is trying to turn, yeah, we have, turn the Cavs into Phoenix, you know, and trying to fit players. Well, here's the difference between D'Antoni with the Lakers and D'Antoni and Phoenix. You know, D'Antoni with the Lakers was taking guys and making them better. D'Antoni and Phoenix was trying to fit guys to a system that, cared more about offense than necessarily scoring more points than the other team. And that that's where the Phoenix thing kind of broke down. So I don't know. I mean, that, that that's a stretch, but I really like that. I, I found that halftime interview really, really problematic. So, yeah. and, and I'm going to see if I can uh, queue up a, a clip of that. I mean, part of, I mean, in, in some ways this might not be that complicated. Mozgov, isn't playing anywhere near as well as he played last year. Shumpert isn't playing as well as he played last year. Kyrie is not playing as well as he played last year. LeBron, LeBron eh, maybe. Kevin no, Love is maybe playing a little better. Delhi's yeah. playing a little better. Uh, um, J.R. Smith is playing a little better. T.T., I don't I think he's playing the same, to be honest with yeah. you. Um, and so I when... He's playing a little worse. When the majority of your guys are, have regressed, excuse me, uh, that's just not good. I mean, and I, I just you want to talk about guys that seem unplayable. It's if this is just my eyes. I'm not looking into advanced stats, but every time Mozgov is on the court, I feel like the Cavs will run some action and they'll throw him a pass, and it just fumbles off his fingertips or oh travels gosh, or something. Day was and it, it just. It just kind of, I don't know, it just is so undermining. And Yeah, no, and you can see how it defeats the whole team when he's out there. Yeah, and for some reason, I remember Mozgov last year as being this, like, gazelle that got up and down the court and was quick, and it was like, man, this is a really mobile big man. It's kind of like we could, you know, he's always finishing all these buckets, and 
he just seems stuck in the mud all the time now. You know, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know if he's just, it's still a confidence thing with him, but th- this team seems mentally compromised. Um, and, and it's sort of like, I know a lot of people on our blog get really frustrated with us and say, oh, we don't, you know, celebrate them. enough. We don't have enough joy. It's kind of like, I mean, where are you seeing joy from the team? Where are you seeing joy from the people following the team? Where are you seeing joy from the front office? Like, I think our blog is actually doing a pretty good job reflecting the mood of the team. You know, I I don't feel like it's all sunshine and rainbows inside that locker room. And we're just like, oh, man, here's everything wrong with the Cavs. I feel like the expectations are championship or bust. We went into this season saying, if Kevin Love, we, we, we went into this season saying there's only one thing that can derail this team from a championship, and that is injuries. And the Cavs have been pretty injury free. I, I know Knock guys have come. Wood. I know guys have come back from injuries, but they got healthy. Yeah, they got and healthy, they di- and they didn't take it to the next level. And the other thing that we didn't count on is that derailing is an historically epic uh Warriors team. <laughs> yeah. And they're kind of ruining this season. I mean, the, I ruining no... <laughs> yet I, yeah, but I respect what they're doing. Oh, I do too. I I, I respect I the fact respect. that they're busting their butts yeah. every game. I'm terrified win. of what they're doing. Yeah. No, and I respect the hell out of a team that's not mailing it in every night. You know, they don't take many nights off. And even when they have a bad game, they play their butts off to get back in the game. So I just can't I just can't understand why there are so many people out there that that don't wanna don't wanna accept the reality of how, how good amazing they are. they are. Yeah. Yeah. Like whether it's Steph Curry or that team. I mean now you gotta the lose. The fact that the two best shooters in the league are on the same team. You got all these old guys great shooters. You got all these old guys coming out of the woodwork to be like, oh, in my day, and oh, everyone's just shooting three. Well, I believe <laughs> that if the rules were different, it would they would not be able to play like this in the you know in the late nineties. But maybe not. But look, they would still be great. <laughs> look, if there was any other player at any other time that could make forty percent of his like thirty-eight foot heaves, that player would do that from time to time. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? And it's like. No. This is the only guy in the history, the history of man of mankind that could ever do that. Yeah. And it completely changes the equation. At least that I know of. Yeah. Yeah. It's like when it's like when Wilt came into the league. It's like they, there was well, nothing like that. Like how do you how Mark do you Cuban do? wants to move the three point line back? Yeah, well of course he does. Because <laughs> Which, but it's they like, don't. <laughs> it's like it's like Mikan. You know, they gotta change the rules. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, he's – and here's the other thing. Now the thing people want to do is they want to look at Curry and be like, well, he only shoots threes. It's like – No, uh, he have you seen like 60 – Yeah. 67% at the rim or something. Right. Yeah, like you can't – it's just you can't defend him because if you get up on him, he will get past you because right. you have overplayed – and he uses his body to create separation, and no one ever blocks his shot. And if you and double if you, him, then you've created a four-on-three four with the yeah. greatest pass, the greatest set of complementary players in the league. 
He can shoot from like any angle. He can throw in all these awkward runners when you chase him off the line. He's the most unguardable this season. He's the most unguardable player or at least guard that the NBA has ever seen. He is more unguardable than Michael Jordan. I mean, I'll just say it, right? I'm not saying he's had Jordan's career or Jordan's longevity or Jordan's greatness. I'm saying if you took took this season – and compared it to like any of Jordan seasons. Yeah, the only com- this is a the better only comparison season. might have been some of those Wilt seasons, where yeah, you know, I mean, I wasn't. I, I don't, the game was so different that. Well, but, right. I'm just saying that's that's the comparison. He's on a completely different plane. Well, now people want to be like, oh, but he doesn't play any defense. It's like then you don't watch him. He does play defense. He does play he, defense. And he's they a, have very a very instinctive good, defender. Yeah. yeah, and they have a good defensive scheme. And well, and what was the one on the? Uh, blog the other day or it was today where somebody said well just run them off two picks every play and the answer to that is well then they'll just switch everything and it doesn't matter right <laughs> yeah it, right it's it's people they are so they, good at switching yeah they are and people and then just switching back people are in denial they don't yeah it's people it, you are know, in denial both about how flawed this Cavs team is and how good yeah. that Warriors team is yeah. Well, Cavs fans are in denial about how flawed the Cavs are. Yeah. I think a lot of people that follow the NBA are in denial about how good Steph Curry is. I really do. I think a lot are and a lot <laughs> a lot are, but there's a lot of people that are in love with Steph Curry too. So I'm not in love with them. I don't like him at all. I, but No, no, no. I, 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 I fear him. <laughs> I fear him. He Haunts nightmares about Steph Curry because I just feel like his this, this historic play that I, he could conceivably do for another three or four years it lines right up with the back end of LeBron's prime and it just kind of freaks me out yeah because if I look at both of these teams right now and I say okay the Warriors are better but what about next year what what reason is there for me to think the Cavs are a better team next year than the Warriors? Like, why are they going to drop off? You know what I mean? Like, well, they're, they're I, I don't see it happening with David Griffin running things, because I have not enjoyed any of his moves in the last you know year. You don't enjoy ever, ever, right? Huh? <laughs> you don't enjoy Channing? No, Fry. I don't enjoy sleepy Channing Fry, the the forty year old foul machine. Yeah. Um, anyway, we, we got to this, this podcast, podcast is getting a little long, long in the tooth. tooth. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, we're just going to no take. I love, how, I love how before the podcast started, you said we got to find a way to add some joy to this podcast. <laughs> we added no joy. We added no the only joy. Jo- joy was ranting about Rapham and that wasn't really joy. But, yeah, it was fun. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, if there is joy, let, let's end it on a joyful note. J.R. Smith, man, he has exceeded my wildest expectations this year. And not only as a player, but as a professional. Yeah, and I just want to say that he and Ben had a good follow-up comment to my comment on on one of the posts about his shot just looks so much quieter this year. Yeah, Like, he just looks more like, you know, more like uh, who's got a quiet jump shot? You know, Clay Thompson or something like that. He, he looks He looks more like a guy balanced even when he's like kicking the leg out and flying off the screen his release everything just is working together it's feathery 
it's feathery. He's got a little bit more arc than he's had before. Um, he's not as much shooting it as he's like tossing it almost. Like he, he's he's I, I, he's really getting his getting his palm un, under the ball. It's just it's beautiful. Yeah, and the Cavs, if they want to win more, really ought to be getting him more shots. Well, in the past, I felt like Jr. would get hot when Jr. would get hot. It didn't really have any bearing on anything else that was going on. Now I feel like when oh, he he's gets, bailed him out of so many games. Well, he has, but now I feel like when the Cavs get him open looks, he's almost automatic. Where in the past, I felt like, well, it doesn't really matter if he's open or not. He's J.R. Smith. Like, yeah. it's, at some point in this game or the next game, he's going to hit three or four threes in a row, and then he's going to cool down. Like, that's just what he does. And this year, I feel like he's way more predictable. Like, oh, look, it's J.R. spotted up for three. He's got his shoulders square, and people aren't really close to go him. Down. This is going to go in, and it goes in. And it's just... And the net barely moves, and it's just... But the other part of it is he's competing on defense. He doesn't always make the best play, but his effort is there. <coughs> he, still Additionally, gets, he still gets hosed by the refs. Oh, he just gets brutalized by the refs. But the one thing I really respected was the <coughs> fact that he's kept his cool. Yeah. And not, like... Because there have been some calls that have just been utterly ridiculous. <coughs> Yeah, um, and I'm glad he, <laughs> I'm glad he puffed his chest out and pushed Taj Gibson instead of clenching a fist. Yeah, which he's want to do. The past couple yeah, of years. he has been want to do. And uh, so the other great thing about Jr. is his his ability to put the ball on the floor and and create some offense for himself and, and get to the line. How about that finger roll in the Toronto game? That was oh, beautiful. Yeah. That, and he's added that this year, that yeah. whole because he, you know, he used to be a guy that would get to the rack and you get fouled a lot. That has completely dried up. Yeah. And well, so he, this year, part of it is he doesn't get foul calls like if well, I were him, I would not want to go to the rack either because he's never getting a call ever. Yeah. All right. Yeah, you're probably right. But I mean, uh, he would he, he has a worse reputation than Dion Waiters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But he Dion uh, and one waiters. Oh man, Dion. <laughs> he he's added this whole like kind of floater yeah. finger roll game, yeah. uh, which I really like. So here's here's a stat maybe worth considering. Um, the Cavs on uh, zero days rest outscore teams by 3.5 on one day rest. They outscore teams by uh, almost seven uh, on two days rest. They outscore teams by um, let's see 4.3, but on three days rest, now there's only been three of these games. They are blowing teams out. They're outscoring teams by 16 points. So, you know, it lends itself to the idea that with more rest, Kevin Love, Kyrie Irving, and LeBron James, three, three guys that can get worn out, with more rest, these guys should play better. So that would be my one hope, that even if they sort of limp into the playoffs, I still think they got to have an extra gear defensively, and extra rest could mean fresh legs for LeBron, K-Love, and Kyrie, 
which could which which could be good. You know, I, I don't know. It, it, again, it's so hard to get a read on this team. But I don't know. So, um, a- along with that, shoot, I forgot what I was going to say. It's because this podcast is so long in the. T- <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, if if do you think the Cavs need to add anybody? Is there a guy? Who's left? I mean, who could, yeah, exactly. Uh, I don't know if there's anybody that moves the needle out there. I mean, what the uh, Cavs really need is a LeBron replacement who can handle the ball a little bit. Right. That's, maybe that's and, Ma- and maybe or that's McCray. The other thing that they could use is a Moscow replacement, a, a, a legit center dive man. That's why I wanted the Cavs to go for Tyson Chandler, but it didn't happen. So, yeah. Anyway, Nate. Maybe, you know, the Cavs have, they'll have a good week, they'll have a bad week. It's been a rough couple days. Maybe, yeah. you know. You've got to think they're going to play well against Indiana tomorrow. Yeah. And then uh, they've got a few days off. They got, they got the off, Wizards they? again. They get, they get revenge on the Wizards. And they get a Boston. I'll, I'll, I'm really looking forward to that Boston game because Boston yeah. got away with highway robbery last time. Oh, the, one of the worst officiated games in the history of the NBA. <laughs> yeah. And the then the Cavs go on, they play West, 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 West. They play like six straight games against Western Conference foes, which I don't know why, but the Cavs always play well in March and they always play well against the West. I don't know why, what it is, but over the. And they are done playing the Warriors, so. Yeah, yeah. So I think maybe we're in for, they got this road trip against Western Conference opponents. Maybe they'll get galvanized. Yeah, they need some galvanization. They do. Or what did you? Is it, what did you? Uh, what was the phrase you used in the Andy Five? Oh, galvanization ability. Yeah. <laughs> Andy yeah. has a lot more galvanization ability than Channing Fry. <laughs> no, I thought I thought you, it was like galvanizationalism or something like that. <laughs> Maybe it was that something was that I had never seen. Anyway, well, it, it wasn't made up. This word. this podcast has some tremendous. This podcast has fangs. Long in the tooth upside. <laughs> the length on this podcast. You can't teach length, Nate. You can't teach length. The wingspan of this podcast. This podcast is has phenomenal. tremendous upside potential. It is tremendous. Yes. So, so as always. Oh, 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 oh. Let's, uh, let's, no, no. So I created a Facebook page for Castle of Log. So we need if to. If anyone is still listening, there's yeah, a well, we, we need to put that on the blog. Yeah. And, and the blog like Twitter it, is coming and then when, and then when, yeah, soon. that's that's coming. And then when you like that, and you log on Facebook, we'll update the Facebook page with each post, so you don't. You have another way to get notified that oh, there's a new post on Castle Blog, and also to complain about our writing. So. Yeah, instead of just to constantly hitting refresh on your browser all day, anxiously awaiting these ridiculously long podcasts of ours. <laughs> So, and as always, go Cats. Thank you for listening to Cavs the Blogs podcast. Check back soon for some more fun with your favorite blogger. And we're out. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, 
and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.